the Pillars of Health podcast with strength coach John Carroll, coming to you from the Movement Lab in Raleigh, North Carolina. We're about to dive into everything you need to know when it comes to strength and conditioning, nutrition, sleep, and stress management. Check us out on movementlabrally.com and coachjohncarroll.com. And now your host, John Carroll. All right, very excited to chat with Joe Cannon today on the Pull Up Health Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Hey, thanks very much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. So before we delve into a little on your background, let's just uh, let's get the icebreaker question going. And uh, yeah. I'm just going to ask you, what has been the biggest challenge thus far in your career? You know, day to day, the biggest challenge is trying to get people to understand that the simple way is usually the correct way. Uh, the fitness industry, the health industry seems to have a chronic case of shiny object syndrome where people uh, buy expensive supplements or crazy exercise routines hoping that that's going to help them, you know, get healthier. And when the reality is it doesn't take a lot to stay healthy. Uh, generally speaking, you know, eat well, get a little bit of exercise or more depending on your fitness level and and let your body and nature take care of the rest it doesn't take a lot but uh, that is basically the thing that I come in I come in contact with a lot of people uh, from day to day you know what's the best this what's the best that and, right you know can I trust this claim and that claim and and usually uh, the answer is again a simple answer is you know you can do this on your own you don't have to spend a lot of money on expensive uh, products and supplements and stuff like that yeah yeah no I totally agree and I actually love that answer because it's it's related to my day to day as well, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's, uh, it's it's definitely one of those questions you hear all the time. And and you're right, you're absolutely 100 percent with that, because, you know, especially with social media coming as well, there's like, OK, there's this new exercise. It's like, well, you know, if we if we master the basics, we're going to be a OK there. And like you said, in regards to supplements, which we'll kind of get into today as well. Generally, just good food will do the trick there, too, with some some basic supplements if, if needed. Right. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Awesome. Awesome. All right. For, for everyone listening, Joe, can you just kind of fill them in your background and, and everything you, you, you're doing at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my my education is I have an undergraduate degree in chemistry and biology and my master's degree is in exercise science. Uh, I've been self-employed since 2002. Uh, mostly these days I am a writer and I teach. I teach, I train personal trainers. I lecture, I do cons consultations on both dietary supplements, health nutrition, as well as rhabdomyolysis where I wrote the first book ever written on the topic. And that came after talking about rhabdo and teaching about it for over a decade. Uh, I've been called the top authority on rhabdo in America, and uh, I, I'll take that title since I've never met anybody who does what I do, and that's every morning I spend reviewing the rhabdo research because I get emails on this on a regular basis, so I try to keep up to date with what's going on and dietary supplements as well. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. I've written several books and uh, you know, lecture and talk and write, and for the most part, that's me. Right, right. So, yes, so two of the main topics we'll get into there are rhabdo and definitely the supplement side of things as well. And I just wanted to ask you in relation to, to rhabdo and kind of your work there, did that kind of take place right as CrossFit was was kind of booming or 
or what you I'm know, saying. you bring up a good point. Rhabdo is not a new phenomenon. Right. And uh, I know people out there like to think it's something that, you know, you associate with CrossFit, which we can talk about. But Rhabdo has been around for over 2,000 years, if mm. not more. There's a, there's a reference perhaps to Rhabdo even in the Bible. There has been uh, talk of it, you know, especially since World War II, we're recording this on D-Day. Um, but there has been reports of it, you know, um, when, the bom- when Nazis were bombing Germany or or, uh, London and stuff like that. So, uh, so we we know that uh, rhabdo has been around a long time. It's only in the past, I'll say, you know, 15 years or so that it's starting to increase. Uh, although people say to me, you know, why did you start studying rhabdo? And 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 it's a great great question. And the, and the answer is, I read a magazine article about it a while ago, a long time ago, mm-hmm. and I said, why didn't anybody ever teach this to me? Uh, you know, I went back and I looked at all my my exercise books, my science books. It wasn't listed anywhere. Right. Which which kind of surprised me, but um, I can I can probably put my fingers on some cases of rhabdo in the newspapers, uh, probably in the late '90s or mid '90s when it was uh, thought that maybe creatine had uh, been associated with the deaths of some wrestlers. Back then, rhabdo wasn't on anybody's uh, radar, including mine. And looking back now, I can see that it was probably rhabdo that did them in and not creatine supplements. Um, so, yeah, it's been around a long time, and it's only in the past few years that it's starting to get, uh, you know, media attention. And I get why that is. Rhabdo is, it's, it's, uh, it sounds, it, it's something that most people have never heard of before. And even the word sounds scary. Right. Um, you know, it's rhabdomyolysis. What is that? So. <laughs> Yeah, I've exactly. heard it mentioned even TV shows. They tend to use it a lot in, t- in some medical TV shows because it gets your attention quick. It does. It does, yeah. Yeah, let's kind of start with, with the basics there. And we'll, you know, for someone who may be brand new to that, to that word, can you kind of fill them in as to what exactly rhabdomyolysis is? Yeah, absolutely. Rhabdomyolysis, abbreviated rhabdo, is essentially muscle fiber death, skeletal muscle fiber death. That's what the word literally means. Rhabdo is essentially skeletal, striated muscle fibers. Myo means muscle and lysis means death. And if we take a step back, there's essentially like three different types of rhabdo. There's traumatic rhabdo, which is if you were to, say, fall off a, fall down a flight of steps or get hit by a car or something, it could happen from that. There are some medications that can cause muscle fiber death. Uh, as well, so many people may have heard uh, of certain cholesterol drugs, which can be associated with this disorder. And then the third category is what we've been hearing about a lot in the news lately, and that's exercise-induced or exertional rhabdomyolysis. And that's where people exert themselves through exercise or normal activities, a little bit too much. And this can cause the muscle fibers to break down, release their internal cellular contents into the bloodstream. Some of this stuff in high concentrations can be uh, quite serious, and that's why rhabdo uh, often requires medical attention to uh, get right. Uh, and I always recommend that to people so they don't just suffer in silence and go on YouTube and look for answers. But getting medical attention, I think, is the best thing to do if you have this condition because, again, it can be quite serious. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, kind of touching on what we already spoke about, we, we hear a lot more about rhabdo now as opposed to probably before 2005, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. It definitely spiked in you know, just in media articles, on TV, like you said. And apart from CrossFit, which I know, you know, a lot of people who dislike CrossFit will say it came from that. But are there any other areas where it came from, in your opinion? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny, but you just take a step back and talk about CrossFit for the moment. The only is, ironically, I teach personal trainers and I mm-hmm. come in contract with an awful lot of them. And I can tell you that the majority of personal trainers in the world have most likely not heard of Rabdo, or if they have, they believe myths uh, that they have heard elsewhere and, you know, and, and stuff like that. But the only people who I'd expect to know what Rabdo is, and that and that's CrossFit trainers, because it's in the CrossFit manual. They actually talk about oh, wow. it. Okay. So, yeah, so they actually... Are, have been ahead of the curve for quite a number of years when it comes to rabdo education. That's something that the, the majority of fitness organizations um, have failed to pick up. So I like talking about this because I want to try to take them kicking and screaming into the 21st century for us beyond me that uh, major organizations uh, do not even teach about rabdo. I know we're, it looks like we're uh, certified by a similar organization. Right. And it's not it's not in their textbook either. Yeah. Uh, um, and and it probably will at some point, but uh, it's not an now. And, and and again, I've even met people with it with degrees in exercise science, recent college graduates and with master's degrees who's never been taught about it. And so I think that's it. That's basically an issue right there. And so you know, CrossFit. I don't think they're the only uh, people who. It doesn't mean that CrossFit can't cause rabdo. I have met people who have said they've gotten it from CrossFit. But across the board, I have I have encountered people over the years who have gotten rabdo working one on one with a personal trainer. Yeah. Uh, and, and the majority of those people actually who do reach out to me have been working one-on-one with personal trainers in, in fitness centers. Uh, so again, you know, I don't like to put the onus on one individual or one yeah. group as it is, I think, a systemic issue. Um, but I can say that CrossFit trainers should be the most educated on Rabdo because they are being tested on it. And that's, that's something I can't say for most other organizations. Right. You know, when it comes to Rabdo itself and kind of identifying what's going on there. If, if someone, you know, because there's definitely going to be a difference between your your delayed onset muscle soreness compared to a rabdo, what would some, some giveaway signs be there? Yeah, um, it's a great question. It's something that a lot of people confuse. They confuse regular muscle soreness, the stuff we've already, all of us have probably had at one time or another, right. uh, with okay. rabdo. And, and one of the telltale signs that I will usually get across to people is when if you have regular muscle soreness, DOMS as it's called, yeah. uh, normally your muscles will not hurt until you move or until you press on those muscles, and that's normal. Great muscle soreness doesn't hurt until you really move. Rabdo hurts like the Dickens, and it hurts when you're not moving. And I can't overestimate uh, how severe the muscle pain can be with rhabdo. I have uh, gotten emails from people who, you know, said that they they wanted to kill themselves. That the pain was so bad, uh, they 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 just couldn't take it anymore. Uh, the pain usually also sometimes pops up a little sooner than delayed muscle soreness in some cases. Uh, regular delayed muscle soreness usually uh, rears its head maybe you know one or two days after exercise, uh, where rhabdo can appear. Sometimes an hour or less after exercise has stopped. Some people tell me almost as soon as they stop exercising, they start feeling uh, pain in their muscle, and it progresses over the hours uh, goes by. And you know, and and so that would be one of my litmus tests: is do your do you have muscle pain when you're not moving? Now, that's something that I would ask you, but I, I have also met people who don't have these classic rhabdo symptoms as well. Yeah. And so just pain pain at rest doesn't always tell the whole picture. So what I, if somebody thinks they have rhabdo, I would say to them, did you recently, like today or yesterday, uh, did an activity or exercise that you had not done previously, whether it be working out, doing a new workout session or taking an exercise class, or were you doing something like maybe gardening or painting your bedroom? I've actually met those people 
people, you know, who've gotten it, you know, again, not from exercise, but from too much gardening, for goodness sake. So anything you're not used to has potential to cause this. Uh, And so I'll ask you, do your muscles hurt when you're not moving? Did you recently do an activity or exercise you were not used to? Uh, And if the answer is yes, then I might start to suspect rhabdo. I might also ask the somewhat embarrassing question is, can you tell me how your urine looks? A lot of individuals will tell me that Mm -hmm. their urine has changed color. And that, you know, most people listening to us have probably heard about this symptom, and that is that urine sometimes looks like iced tea or cola-colored. I like to say that there's a spectrum of changes that can occur with rhabdo. You can be just a little bit uh, lighter than iced tea, or you could be as dark uh, urine-colored as, say, a cola or something along those lines. Okay. So it does it does uh, change, but again, not everybody gets that symptom either, so... Yeah. Um, it's just not one one question I can say that would that would help me to help uh, figure out if you had rhabdo or not. Right, right, very interesting. And yeah, kind of getting back to what you mentioned about uh, like someone gardening, right, and having rhabdo after an extensive period of gardening in the, in the back garden. And you know, I think a lot of people associate rhabdo with just insane amounts of exercise. Um, whereas that's not generally the case. Am I correct in saying that? You are correct. What is insane amount for exercise for one individual may not be for another person. You know, a person can go out and be a, you know, go into the military and go through boot camp and you know, SEAL training, Ranger training, whatever, and, and Marines never get it. Mm-hmm. And then you can have someone else who can go in the backyard and be pulling weeds all day long, you know, three or four hours or more, and they'll end up with it. Mm-hmm. So that makes rhabdo, again, fascinating to me how some people can get, get this condition from a lot of exercise and some people can get it from you know, what, what we would most likely say is not a whole lot of activity. So it is the unusual nature of, some, uh, of exercise and some individuals that can trigger this. Yeah. So it's not just too much exercise. It's too much unfamiliar types of activity. Right. Right. Yeah. So if someone is not used to a certain level of activity, therefore, like if they go from doing nothing to already, like you said, you know, could be gardening in in the back garden or even playing with kids for an extended period of time, they're kind of opening up that, that window to be exposed to rabbit there possibly. Yeah, it's very, it's very strange. There have been cases of rhabdo uh, across the board, very fit, very unfit, pro-athletes, non-athletes, kids in elementary school uh, from you know gym class sometimes, stuff like that. So yeah, it's, it, 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 the rate I do think is low uh, overall compared to say other medical conditions, but it, it is something that has potential in almost anybody if they do it too much, especially if they, if they push beyond their mental breaking point. If they, you know, for instance, they, you know, they think they want to quit, but their mind will not let them quit for whatever right. reason. Maybe they don't want to disappoint the group in the class or the exercise instructor and they push beyond their mental breaking point. That seems to be something else that can trigger rhabdo. Okay. Okay. And is there any role of genetics in the onset of rhabdo at all? Some colleges uh, actually do genetic testing these days on athletes for this very reason. Uh, one one trait that they're most likely testing for is the sickle cell anemia trait, where if you had two genes, you'd have sickle cell anemia, and if you only had one gene, you have what's called the sickle cell trait. Having the sickle cell anemia trait can increase the risk of getting rhabdo, uh, and so there is a there is some genetics to rhabdo. I have I actually uh, know people who've had it multiple times. Uh, I know one. One uh, fitness instructor in particular who's had it, I believe, six times, um, and again, she—I t- don't know what, what if she has a genetic issue or not, but uh, you know, there there does seem to be a, a genetic uh, link to rhabdo, although a quote-unquote rhabdo gene has not ever been discovered that I've ever seen. Right, right. 
So definitely worth getting checked out though, if it's yeah. uh, if it's something on your horizon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then also, you know, we've discussed CrossFit people in general just working out. But are there are there any other institutes or um, you know corporations even that may be putting people at risk? In, in, you know, I, I wouldn't say anyone in particular. I, I know that the uh, uh, I know the military has had their share of rhabdo and are working to lower that. Um, but you know, I, I would say that the biggest issue with rhabdo is uh, lack of education on it. I, I often say the best defense against rhabdo is education. And so, the more we talk about, it, the more we educate people on it, the less likely it is to occur. Um, so, no, I, I really don't want to point at any one in, one individual, one group. And and quite frankly, I, I don't think I've ever seen any one particular group that you know you can say the you know that group over there is more likely to cause rhabdo than others i really do think it has to do with education of the uh, of the individual as well as the fitness trainer themselves right and then you know basically from a prevention point of view is there anything people can do in relation to uh, maybe offset the possibility of encountering rhabdo yeah, a- absolutely. Uh, rhabdo happens, as I often say, when you do a lot of stuff you're not used to doing. So just do the opposite. Don't start with you know five sets of legs. Start with one set of legs. One set of leg press, for instance. Don't do five sets of leg presses. You know, don't do leg press, leg extension, leg curls, squats, deadlifts, you know, and 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 stiffies. Uh, start with just a leg press. One set, light weight, something you lift maybe like twelve to twenty times. Move on to another exercise. I, I think uh, when we come to exercise, people are under the impression they have to train like a bodybuilder, and that's not true. If if if, the, if there are personal trainers who are listening to us right now, they need to know who their client is. The vast majority of people who hire fitness trainers are women who are beginners, uh, novices, and they're usually over the age of 40. And, and so since they are beginners, uh, the safest way to train a beginner is with a total body circuit training program. Do one set of you know chest, arms, back, buys, tries, legs, whatever. And then what you do is, what, what, what that's going to do is it's going to spread the exercise stimulus out over a wide array of muscles. It's going to also dampen down the degree of muscle soreness they're experiencing, dampen down also the risk of overuse injuries and also rhabdo as well. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's the best defense against rhabdo, not only education, but not overworking any one muscle group. Right, right. And that makes sense because I feel when it comes to personal trainers, sometimes we get caught up chasing the, uh, let's, let's make my client sore type thing, right? You bring up a good point, and when I teach classes, I uh, often tell them this. They are, again, it is a unfortunate little-known secret that in some fitness centers, uh, trainers are sometimes told uh, to make people sore on purpose as a psychological trick to get people to sign up for personal training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the problem arises when the trainers doesn't know about rhabdo and the gym owner or whatever doesn't know about rhabdo, and the, cl- and, and, the and the client obviously probably doesn't know about rhabdo either. So it's a, um, it is. Is a unfortunate, unfortunate storm event events that could lead to this condition. I remember one guy told me uh, who spent a week in the hospital that uh, um, he, he said he later found out everybody in the gym was no more than a bunch of buff people in polo shirts. None of them were certified personal trainers. They just right. look good in a polo shirt. Unfortunately, yeah. um, and, you know, and they hurt them. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, unfortunately it's part of part of the industry we're in, right? So, um, yeah. I know, you know, for. All the extra attention that Rabbit has gotten in, in the media, is there something you've seen that's uh, a myth and something you'd like to dispel for, for the people listening? Yeah, so I, I think the biggest myth it, it concerns kidneys. When people talk about rhabdo, they say, oh, I got, I got kidney problems. 
um, and, and, you know, and to decrease rhabdo, they're sometimes told drink a lot of water and that'll reduce your risk of rhabdo. And I like to say, let's take, let's take a step back and realize that water does not stop muscle fiber death. When people talk about how you drink a lot of water, they're only concerned with, you know, maybe protecting the kidneys uh, from being clogged up from too much myoglobin, which is a protein that actually is toxic to your kidneys in high concentration. The issue is, is that drinking water does not stop the process from occurring and drinking water does not stop the liver problems and the heart problems and other issues associated with rhabdo. And, and then the other thing I would point out is that it is possible, although I don't know statistics on this, that someone may go on the internet and hear this drinking water uh, herbal, you know, er, urban remedy for this, and, and they may drink too much water. And then they may come out with an even other, another serious issue called hyponatremia, which is just as serious as rhabdo. And hyponatremia is where you drink so much fluid, you dilute the electrolytes in your blood. And this can also destabilize your heart rate. Um, and, in, and in very extreme cases, can even cause death. And so, again, I come back to my original thesis is that if someone thinks they have rhabdo, the best defense is go to the hospital and get checked out. They'll you know, do some tests on you to find out if you have it or not. So I, I'd like to point that out. Mm -hmm. um, I'd also uh, want to point out something that nobody's really talking about, um, and that is, again, as you touched on earlier, people will sometimes confuse rhabdo with delayed muscle soreness. And when they're in pain, they often reach for painkiller medicines like aspirin and Advil. I would highly recommend you do not do this because one of the side effects of these non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs is that they can dampen down your kidney function. In the person who's already kidney compromised from rhabdo overdosing on these painkiller medicines can make rhabdo worse. And so, I, again, I, I come back to don't self-medicate. Don't look for so-called experts on the Internet. You know, if you, if you Google my name and rabbit, you're going to find a whole lot of stuff. But, you know, don't even listen to me. I, I, again, I want you to get proper medical attention. Right, right. And, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, there, there was a period there not too long ago where I feel like, like you mentioned, NSAIDs were being used like candy. And then all of a sudden we had that warning where I was like, hey, they might not be too good for your liver. So hold back on those. Um, yeah. Yeah, so that makes total sense. Well, let's do this. We're going to transition into the supplement side of things next. And uh, I just want to ask you, how did you approach going about writing your book on supplements? You know, I, I've, I've been, as much as I like to research rhabdo, I, I have been investigating dietary supplements since the 1990s. Uh, and so um, when I wrote my book several years ago, which I do need to update, uh, um, I, I again, I first surveyed a whole bunch of people, well over 100 people. I said, what do you want to know about? And I, um, I put that all in a big spreadsheet and made sure I addressed all those topics because they were topical back then, and some of them still are. Um, and then eventually I went on and I created a website where I write reviews of dietary supplements etc. So um, a lot of the topics that I write about and investigate come from people who literally email me and it's like, hey, what about this? And is this true or is that true? Um, and it gets my interest because I, I'm, I, I, I like to investigate the supplements. I originally started writing about them you know, in the 90s when I was writing for a, a, a general fitness journal um, in, in, in the Pennsylvania area. And I, I picked a topic at random, chromium. And uh, back then, you know, when I was in college, people were taking chromium for weight loss. And I remember people taking it with, with milkshakes mm -hmm. and, and for weight loss. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. So I decided to write a little article on chromium and weight loss. And I discovered uh, very quickly that what the research said did not jive with what the advertisements were saying. And I basically pointed that out. And then I picked another supplement. And I found the same thing. The science and the advertisement didn't line up. And I picked another one and another one. And then, I, again, I, like with rabbit, I became a dog with a bone. I just wanted to help 
help people understand the supplements they take. Um, not all supplements are, you know, baloney. There's some good products out there, but you know, finding, you know, separating the wheat from the chaff, as you say, um, can be difficult for some people. And so I just try to be a light in the darkness and, you know, give them a, a safe place where they can learn about this stuff um, in, in plain English and not use a lot of big words. Yeah, yeah. And I feel when it comes to the, the supplement side of things for people when they, you know, venture online or like go to a GNC or something, they just feel totally overwhelmed, right? Because there's so much choice. You know, what would some beginner tips for people who are maybe looking to add some supplements and it could just be basic stuff like vitamins and amino acids right or some, some tips in that area yeah so for one thing i would say if someone is literally a beginner to getting healthy and exercise and all that i would say don't even worry about supplements mm -hmm. uh you know eat well eat i, I sometimes say that the best supplement overall is a salad or a fruit and veggie smoothie um, there's no no pill can compare to that no superfood can compare to that um but if you're going to walk into a health food store right off the bat generally i would say avoid the exercise section where you've got the testosterone boosters and all that jazz uh you know if you want to throw and get some protein powder throw that in your smoothie or your oatmeal in the morning, I got no problem with that. There's some good protein powders out there. Um, if you want to have a, a basic multivitamin, that's fine as well. Um, I don't think you need to go the the mega powerful multivitamin route. You know, any multivitamins are essentially micronutrients. We don't need a lot of them to stay healthy. So any basic multivitamin will suit your needs. Um, in terms of amino acids, um, I, I don't think most people need amino acid supplements, especially in terms of building muscle. Mm -hmm. Protein is more muscle protein is more than amino acids. So taking a protein powder, for instance, would be more effective than an individual amino acid for most individuals. Uh, for some, you know, I, some individuals who may be more advanced, you can make an argument in some cases for maybe glutamine, which is an amino acid that sometimes we may make, we, we need more than we can make. And glutamine may help reduce overtraining syndrome in some individuals, people who exercise uh, to exhaustion, marathon runners, triathletes and stuff like that. Okay. But as a rule, uh, I think I think less is more when it comes to supplementation. You know, protein powders are perfectly fine. I got no problem with them in healthy people. Um, you know, it, again, it, but the sports supplements and and also the weight loss supplement aisle of the health health food stores, I would say give that give that a wide berth as well. Uh, some of the weight loss products are just nothing more than a bunch of stimulants, um, and I think the the risks of stimulants outweighs any possible benefits. When people say to me what weight what, what weight loss supplements work, uh, the evidence is strongest for fiber. So, you know, if you want to use a fiber supplement, again, or eat some fiber foods, um, that's going to help as well. But most of the weight loss supplements I investigate, I'm not too impressed with. Um, and again, a lot of the, uh, the sports performance supplements, I don't see a lot out there that really gets my attention. And a lot of it is essentially the same thing in different bottles. And uh, there's nothing, nothing interesting under the sun, unfortunately, in that area for the most part. Well, it's fascinating you, you mentioned that about the weight loss supplements because, again, you know, that's a that's a multi well probably a hundred billion dollar industry at least right the supplement industry. Oh yeah, they make a lot of money. There's a lot of products out there, and you know I don't want to throw them all into the same bus. There are right. you know, I use some products myself. I'm not I'm not anti supplement. Some people I get sometimes I get it I get it I get accused of oh you're a you're a shill for the for the for big pharma. Yeah, I'd like to have some sweet big pharma money. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not. I don't work for any supplement company. I definitely right. don't. For any pharmaceutical company, you know, I, I call myself an unbiased seeker of the truth. Uh, so, um, yeah, take it for what it is. But there's some good supplements, not some good supplements. It just it just depends on what we're talking about. You know, multivitamin, yeah, it's perfectly fine. Protein powder, I got no problem with it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, and again, it, but for for that average beginner who walks into a health food store and says, "Oh my goodness, what do I what do I get?" 
you know, multi's fine, protein powder is perfectly fine, um, and I, I would leave it at that. I, I eat better. Put the emphasis on food because if you think about it, supplements are called this. Re- call it for that reason. They're meant to supplement our diet. Exactly. You know, eating more greens and yellows and purple foods uh, are going to actually benefit us more than taking an overabundance of any one, you know, amino acid or herb or etc. Uh, and, and again, when people are saying to themselves, "Well, what food should I eat?" Look for the colors. Yeah. The, the purples, the greens, the oranges, the colors are the antioxidants. They are the, th- and then when we eat the colors, we get those antioxidants inside of us and they help protect our DNA. They sometimes can even improve exercise performance. Some of our listeners may have heard of the research on beetroot juice, uh, improving uh, exercise to exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and beets get a lot of attention when it comes to uh, exercise performance. I would point out that green vegetables actually contain more of the uh, nitrates, which are the nitric oxide producing uh, ingredients in beets than beets themselves. So, you know, Eating a salad will will provide many of the same benefits. Although I'd love to see a head-to-head uh, comparison between a you know a big green salad and beetroot juice to see which could help you exercise to exhaustion longer. I haven't seen that study yet, but I'm waiting for it. That Maybe that's something. We could, yeah, yeah, very interesting to see what would happen. But but yeah, so there, you know, I would say again, supplements are great. Let's eat well and supplement with our diet with a few things, and we'll be okay. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, and that's, that's a great message to get out to people because we uh, we tell our clientele, our members, the same thing. Like, there's no substitute for, for quality food. And, um, you know, if you're approaching that correctly, there's going to be very little need for any type of supplement. Unless, of course, you know, if you get blood tests back from your doctor and you know, you are lacking in some area and, so, and he advised you to fill that, that gap with a supplement, you know, so... I- Absolutely. Absolutely. There are those cases when supplements are definitely needed. Uh, I've met these individuals in the past. Uh, I, I, I actually know someone who came up high with uh, uh, an amino acid in blood bloodstream called homocysteine. Homocysteine is linked to heart disease. Uh, it's it, it can very easily be lowered by taking a few B vitamins, B6, B12, and folic acid, of which folic acid is probably the one most people are going to be deficient in because where is folic acid found? Green leafy vegetables, which mm-hmm. a lot of it is just not taken. Right, right. And, and, you know, just, again, kind of getting to your advice for someone, say, for example, they do have to fill some gaps in their nutrition with a supplement, whether it's like a vitamin D or like folic acid, like you just mentioned. Are, are there some labs or companies you recommend supplement-wise when it comes to that? or? You know, not not particularly any one brand. I, I like real companies that have been around a long time. Um, you know, I just toss out a few off the top of my head. Uh, now Foods is a good brand. Uh, Life Extension makes a good brand. Uh, Doctors Best is a is a fine company as well. Um, so th- those are all those are all good. There's other ones out there. That I'm not, probably not giving credit to, unfortunately, right now. Um, generally, when I look at a supplement label, and this is maybe a, a trick that people can look at right now, and if they have supplements, if I see lab in the word. Um, um, that's going to get me curious and make me see, is there really an actual lab? And right. so I will I will look at the address on the package, and I'll try to find that and Google it and see, do I see an actual building that has its name on it? I want to mm. see, if I see lab in a name, I want to see a laboratory that does right. laboratory work. Unfortunately, in the in, in America, the, the the supplement law says you know anybody can give themselves a cool name and outsource the production of their supplements to somebody else. Uh, so it's just something I look at, and so I, I like to see I like proven brands that have been around a long time. Companies have been around a long time, like the ones I mentioned a little while ago. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, it just this lab and name doesn't get my attention. Also, another thing I look at is how many claims are they making on the package. Uh, as a rule, when it comes to supplements and food, the more 
claims I see, the more I wonder what they're not telling me. And that's going to get my get me curious to start di- looking at it a little closer. So when you see you know, gluten-free, fat-free, carb-free, calorie-free, you know, yeah. what aren't they telling me? Is it, <laughs> is it, for instance, high in sodium? Yeah, which I see in an awful lot of ketogenic supplements, you know, which you know, that, that's a story, you know, we can talk all day on, on on some of these things. But, you know, ketogenic supplements, you know, whether they work, whether they don't work as debatable, but uh, they tend to be pretty high in sodium. So, yeah, it, people, unfortunately, still have to be an educated consumer. That's right. And, and that's exactly what I was going to say. And you bring up a great point about the, uh, the keto side of things, because it's it's just in right now, you know, so keto is like the buzzword. And people are, are out there buying ketones and all this good stuff, and like you just mentioned, you have to be informed. You have to do your own research and look into is what I'm buying a quality, you know, supplement, or has it been sourced correctly, or are they just making these outrageous claims just to sell this product? Absolutely, and that's uh, unfortunately that's just something that we still need to be, uh, you know, uh, watchful consumers these days. And you know, again, not not always take people up on their word. And there are some definitely good players out there. And if you stick with the big names, you'll be okay. And, and even you know, even when you're sticking with the big names, you also have to look at you know, do I need that particular ingredient in my product as well? So you still have to do your own your own investigation on these things, unfortunately. So you know, and that's that's why I you know do my consults and my my videos and blog posts. Well, just in your in your research on the supplements and, and everything you covered, was there anything that came you came across story wise that kind of really kind of blew you away as to what maybe a brand was claiming and what was actually in the supplements? Well, yeah. I, I, earlier, I had said to you know stay clear of the weight loss supplement aisle in the store and the and and the muscle building supplement aisle because as across the board, those particular areas tend to be plagued with inaccuracies in their ingredients list. They'll say they'll have X, Y, and Z. In reality, they may have less of those ingredients than they say, or they may unfortunately be uh, have have other things added to them which are not listed on the label. Case in point, uh, the, the 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 brands that not brands but the, the category of supplements that usually comes up in my radar a lot are male performance supplements where unfortunately a, a good amount of them uh, appear to be spiked with uh, drugs such as Viagra and stuff like that. Um, and, and, and for the listeners, if they want to see a list of all these supplements which have red flag to the FDA, you know, just go to your search engine of choice, type in FDA tainted supplements. And if you type in FDA tainted supplements in a search engine, you'll find the list of all the products the FDA has found to contain um, things that they should not contain, uh, such as, for instance, in uh, weight loss supplements, I'll sometimes see an illegal weight loss drug called Subutramine, um, sometimes called Meridia, which you can no longer get in America because it's linked to heart disease, heart attacks and strokes. Mm. And in the male performance supplement, you sometimes see you know uh, things like Viagra and Unfortunately, as well. Yeah. yeah, you just have to watch out. Wow, wow. Yeah, interesting stuff. And then when it comes to the FDA, just when you mentioned that, I just brought up a question in my head. In order to get a supplement out there, is is there a rigorous uh, procedure through the FDA, or is it kind of like everybody gets out there? Well, generally, according to the laws these days, the what's called the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, or DSHEA, and that's been the law of the land since 1994, pretty much you can make your own supplements, you can have other companies put them together for you, package them, and ship them out and all that stuff. And you don't necessarily have to tell the uh, Food and Drug Administration, hey, I'm going to make a new vitamin or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as the ingredients have been around a long time, you don't have to tell them. Sometimes, if you're going to use a uh, something in your 
your product that has not been used before, not been consumed in high quantities before, then uh, the FDA would consider that a new dietary ingredient or an NDI. At that point, you really need to do your due, due diligence and prove to the FDA that uh, it's safe and do your own research and stuff like that. So sometimes you do have to tell the FDA, but as a rule, there's really not a lot stopping you from making your own supplement and selling it on your website and stuff like that. You can do that. And there are there are companies out there that put all this stuff together for you. They'll package it. They'll take all the orders and stuff like that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I remember when I was growing up and I, was, I think I was still in Ireland at this point, but there was a company in Europe at the time and they were having a success with one of their muscle building supplements and it was just like flying off the shelves. And, you know, a couple of months down the line came out in the press that there were in fact steroids in their supplement and, you know, it had been since banned and stuff like that. But initially what they'd done, you know, they kind of had documents uh, recovered from their marketing team. It was like, okay, let's get the supplement out. Let's put it in the first couple of batches and then the buzz will grow and then we'll take it out and keep it safe after that, which was pretty, pretty mind blowing stuff. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, unfortunately that stuff happens. Uh, I, I like to think it doesn't happen as, as much anymore, but um, I've heard stories like this and, yeah. uh, yeah, it's unfortunate. It, yeah. g- it gives the industry a bad name, and I know, and I know the industry is trying hard to, uh, you know, I- improve the quality of the products and make them more, um, you know, clean label. You know, easily see what's in them and stuff like that. There has been this push in the industry over the last several years to make sure, you know, bad apples like that don't really get out that often. So I'm, yeah. I'm happy there are changes. Yeah, exactly. And it's been a long time, and that's you know, probably been the only case I've really heard of. So glad to glad to see things are going in the right direction. Awesome. So kind of fill everybody in, Joe, on on your two books and where they can access them. Yeah, so I, I've I've gotten several books. I think I've written eight so far. But oh, wow. uh, yeah, I've got, I've got personal training book, supplement book, rhabdo book. Uh, if if you want to uh, learn more about me and all the other stuff I read about personal training and rhabdo and stuff like that, um, I've got two websites I maintain. So my personal website, which is just Joe-Cannon, Joe-Cannon.com, and that's usually where I write about health problems and exercise and personal training certifications and, and stuff like that. And then my other site is supplementclarity.com and that's devoted to only dietary supplement reviews um, what works what doesn't work how to tell a difference and stuff like that just supplementclarity.com and that's essentially it my books are there and uh, many of them are on Amazon as well okay awesome and do you have any any social media where you're pretty active you know, I, I, these days I'm most active on Instagram. I never thought I would like Instagram, but uh, I found myself getting addicted to it. I use it as my mini blogging platform. So uh, if you're on Instagram, look me up. I'm Joe Cannon, C-A-N-N-O-N-M-S, M-S. Uh, and if you look up Joe Cannon M-S, you'll find me. Um, I'm usually on there at least once a day, you know, reaching out to people and posting little reviews of studies and stuff like that. Awesome stuff. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast today. Hey, it's my pleasure. I'm glad to, glad to help out, and uh, this was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, so some quality information for everybody to kind of digest and, and definitely take in moving forward, so it's always good to get the message out. Sounds good. Hey, I appreciate all the, uh, all the help and the attention. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Guys, right. everybody listening at home, uh, if you have a second, head on over to iTunes, leave us a quick review. We'd really appreciate it, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Pros of Health.